Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. Before I start this week's episode, I just want to talk to you about Elias Software. Elias Software is providing high-quality tools and services, bridging the gaps between game developers, sound designers, and music composers. With a modern and fast workflow and deep game engine integration, Elias Audio Tools enable unprecedented creative control. If you're looking for real-time audio feedback for music and sound effects for your game, you want to check EliasSoftware.com and get on with what's hot right now. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Game, the number one podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I am here with my special guest. I don't know your last name. Hawken. How are you doing, Hawken? I'm good, uh, Brandon. My last name is Miller, so I have the, a very uncommon first name, but a very common last name. <laughs> that's, that's great, man. Um, so that is your real name then, Hawken. I thought it was some kind of cool name. It's really cool, dude. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, this is the part of the podcast, actually, where uh, I let the guests, such as yourself, introduce your viewers out there, who you are, where you've been, where you're heading. Sure. Uh, hi, everyone. Um, my name is Hawkin Miller. I am a journalist uh, by trade. I am incidentally looking at reporting on the video game and esports industry. Uh, I've graduated uh, from USC in 2019 and intern at the Washington Post. And while I was there, I worked for their new video game vertical launcher. And I've also been writing for a healthcare and biotech uh, company uh, covering rare diseases called BioNews Services. So I do have a very large breadth of issues that I do cover. And, you know, I've always been into video games from a young age. It's definitely helped me through having Duchenne muscular dystrophy and not being able to participate physically with other kids. And so it's been a great way for me to stay connected with my friends and a way for me to be competitive and, and just uh, hang out with them. And so that's a little bit about my story and where, where I'm at right now. Well, I want to thank you for, for coming on and sharing you know, the last, um, I have, I, there's still a long ways to go for the game industry to kind of be more inclusive um, for, for players. I think the last big news that I've heard was from Naughty Dog with maybe their Last of Us 2 being a little bit more conscious of other players. Um, but that is far and few in between. Uh, can you kind of share a little bit more of that background and what you had to like go through to mm-hmm. to to play these games? Because you, you found it as an escape too, right? Um, but like the industry wasn't ever really so accommodating to that uh, until recently. Yeah, I can speak a little bit to that. I, I know another game that I came across that has a lot of accessibility options is Gears of War. Five, I think they're on five now, um, <laughs> but they were they were great with you know as you know some games you have to button mash and that's kind of a little bit difficult. So instead you got to hold the button down to complete an action or something like that. So those are small things that are very helpful. So in my own life, uh, I can still use my hands and arms normally. So thankfully, that hasn't been too much of an impact for me. But I do know people that are quadriplegics or have lost, you know, arms and just can't move as well. Um, it definitely is difficult to play video games. I know we have come a long ways. Uh, eye tracker technology uh, has been very helpful for those, for those people. I'm not sure if you're familiar with a device called a quad stick. 
but it allows users to basically use their mouth and blow into different tubes and do different actions through that. So those two things have been nice, but those kind of have been like independent, not related to game developers. And I mean, to me, it, it makes sense why. I mean, there aren't as many people with disabilities playing the games to begin with, so they have less of an incentive to put those um, interfaces or uh, accessibility features in. But like you said, I think they're doing a, a better job of that right now. Yeah, the, uh, driving points in the past six months more, I, I feel like at least in the news, there's more conversations mm-hmm. uh, about this is because, well, the pandemic, right? If newsflash, if you don't know about that, um, has kind of forced people to be in their homes and to find their escape through the internet and games and movies, right? Um, there's no... There's no coincidence here that these that the stocks uh, for these tech companies are going up because more people are turning to this, uh, something that you've been turned to many times for many years and, and finally are uh, emphasizing like, hey, this is uh, a great way to kind of kill time and, and, and be a part of society. But at the same time, it's not set up for everyone just yet. And so now there seems to be a light kind of shining on to this uh, particular subject. Uh, do you feel that that's, that's me based on intuition and just scoping? Is that, yeah. is that kind of true? Definitely. I think uh, I did write a story about Microsoft and kind of their accessibility focus and so they have they released the adaptive controller for Xbox in 2018, and so, I mean I think it really has to do with you have to have people with disabilities working in these different places because mm-hmm. if you don't have a disability, you're not going to understand that perspective, and you're not going to create a mechanic or create something within the game that that could help someone with a disability, you know, get through that game or get through whatever challenge that they're faced in the game. So I think you know hiring more people with disabilities is definitely going to improve that and i think that's what's helpful for microsoft at least for their inclusive tech lab they, they have people with disabilities working there and so it starts from having a diverse group of people different ideas and then also with different abilities and, and programming that into the game from the beginning yeah the push of diversity is seems like when when we have a conversation with it it seems very obvious but very few studios actually do them um, and a lot of it is not just completely trying to ignore. It's just the game development cycle is so rushed uh, where yeah. every second kind of feels like you're on your last <laughs> salary <laughs> paycheck, right? Where it feels like uh, other things take priority where um, mm-hmm. we're, we're in a way you're, you're shutting down the, the very people that are actually supporting your game, right? Right. So it's a balancing thing. And I think that's the immaturity of the industry a bit where we're still figuring things out as we go. Um, do you feel like other industry, entertainment industry are, are handling it a little bit better? And what, what advice do you think could carry over to the game industry that can help with the transitioning? Yeah. And I, I'm not super focused on the entertainment industry, but what I can say is I think that the same problem is, so across both mediums, I, I don't know how often you see movies or TV characters with a disability. Now, that is improving, and I think it's becoming more proportional to the amount of people with disabilities. And you have to understand, not it's not like half of people in the U.S. have a disability. It's a little bit less than that, so you have to think about that. But proportionally, it's still not where it should be. But you, you have shows like that having uh, someone with cerebral palsy that are represented in people in wheelchairs that are represented. Um, like, you know, Glee, for example, they had one of the characters in a wheelchair. However, he wasn't actually paralyzed. So that might've been a problem in, in and of itself, but mm-hmm. I think you, you see that more and more. I actually watched, uh, I, I did a review for a movie about someone with Duchenne muscular dystrophy and Paul Rudd was in it. So that gave a lot of good press to that, uh, to that issue, to this disease. And I hope to just see that in the future. And I think, uh, like many other things, like, you know, representation of different races, I think we're, we're getting there and it's getting better and better. Yeah. I think representation helps a lot um, because that helps with people's curiosity and naturally people want to, to explore more and then finally include it as part, you know, if they're a creator, uh, tell that side of the story more. And I think 
because that hasn't happened that much. It's slowly happening. If we look at, you know, a longer timeline, um, it, it, I, I hope that this momentum continues, right? So during COVID, right, a lot of people are living with social isolation, right? And it is a complete slap in the face on, wow, I thought I could just rely on Facebook and Twitter all day. I guess not. Um, like I'm finding myself picking up the phone, talking to people again. Didn't know that was what it's for. <laughs> and a lot of people are discovering what a phone used to be like. Mm-hmm. And um, in a way, uh, I'm also discovering how time away from the phone has been really helpful with my mental health. And um, people are kind of forced to think differently now. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the, the, the improvement with uh, recognizing disability and uh, accessibility uh, with games, especially with movies. Like that's why I feel like the, the two, two industry is kind of like the, the main topic right now, because people are mainly doing that. And I think in the main Maybe next month or so, people are rediscovering board games again. But with this social isolation, you're you're playing with the same two people, so that gets boring real quick. <laughs> beating beating my my ten year old isn't so fun <laughs> every time. So it, it's it seems like digital is the long term uh, solution uh, to get us out of this. Um, what are you seeing uh, from that perspective, from a journalistic perspective of what people are turning to and what can be improved to kind of help because even digital, there's oversaturation of like, man, I'm moving from my phone to the computer, to the TV. I'm like, I'm getting so much screen time now because that's, you know, outside of, and and in California, for example, we had wildfires where we were like really have to dig in to stay in in the house and not even breathe outside. And so that was a hard two weeks, at least on, on a personal level. Like this, we're, we're, we're re, really being tested this year. And if anything, digital outlet is, seems to be here to stay for a while. Yeah, we're definitely turning to screens. And I feel like whether we like it or not, our screen time has increased. And I know for me, like I start getting a little bit lightheaded. If, you know, I, I look at a screen all day, like, and I stop looking at the screen and I go to the couch and watch TV. And so yeah. that, that isn't helping any at all. But I think, like you said earlier, this is a great time for video games because people are realizing the potential to be able to connect uh, online to however far away you are from each other. And I think you look at the games that are coming out, you got Fall Guys and Among Us, games that are very specifically focused on like the party aspect, like bringing people together rather than like Call of Duty because not everyone can play Call of Duty. It Right. It's something that I've only, I'm only good at because I've been playing it for so long, but other yeah. people, you know, can't necessarily keep up. So those games um, have been coming into, into fruition. And then there's this whole idea of the metaverse. And this is something that a reporter I worked with at the Washington Post, uh, Gene Park has explored and in Fortnite specifically, where people are in their Fortnite character, but they're also seeing a, like a marshmallow concert or they're watching a, a trailer for the rise of Skywalker or tenant. So we see it just becoming so pervasive in our lives. And we see the video game industry uh, taking advantage of that and becoming that, I guess, if you look at ready player one, it's kind of that environment. Or if you look at, you know, snow crash, for example, a book that a lot of um, people like to cite with the metaverse and how, you know, you have a second life, you know, in the online space. And I think that, that's a great thing, especially for now, but it can also be dangerous and cause us to forget who we are as people. Yeah. The, the danger with online communities, like that turning that second life into first life. Right. So <laughs> the technology isn't there yet where we're, we're often right. in to be completely enthralled, but we're basically one Facebook Oculus away. I think, you know, after the next one, they're going to be bridging the gap to a point where like virtual reality is pretty cool right so like these technology companies are are definitely taking advantage and they have to and in a way it's not so bad because there's really nothing to do right um uh, you can't really go outside Uh, like even if you do go outside there's a lot of people walking without masks because it's so politicized in the u.s it's just unsafe 
So it's the safest thing is to stay at home and, and be somewhat, you know, comfortable with that until this kind of blows over. It's the hundred percent felt proof plan for everybody right now is just stay home and so much, make right. your house. comfortable. Um, yeah. The digital outlet thing is scary because I'm, I'm like six months. Thank God I don't have to wear glasses, but I'm, I'm even at this point, man, I'm staring at the screen way more than <laughs> I've ever done before. And this is coming from a digital artist, right? And, and I play games a lot and uh, I'm feeling like it's, taken like five years from my eye away. And I, I don't know how long I should be doing that. Um, but you, you talked a bit about your uh, somewhat pretty professional gaming career, right? So you're a Twitch streamer as well. You're, you have your own community. Uh, you're, you're attending a, a Call of Duty Warzone tournament already or uh, will be soon? Well, um so when I was, so I'm taking a little bit of break from Twitch. Uh, I might come back. It was just a lot to balance between uh, doing my journalism and games and then doing Twitch. But I did participate in a Warzone tournament with a few other streamers that I was connected with through this online community called Pipeline. And we participated in a Warzone tournament back, uh, back in February, I think. So it's been a while now, you know, shortly after that game mode came out and what was great about that was, you know, we didn't necessarily do well. I think we got fifth place or something like that, but it was a great opportunity to build a, a friendship with someone that I hadn't met at all in real life and to, to be competitive. And for me in, in Call of Duty, a lot of my friends don't play that game. And so it was nice to have people that really, in, in that community that loved the game as well and understood the game and how it worked and were willing to like, play to what I was doing and, and help each other. And so that overall was, it was a great experience. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that whole universe, right. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're, we're taping this, this podcast in my, in my apartment, but like, uh, it's still quite new. Like it's an arm that, that, that just, uh, grew like just a few years ago, but exploded in a way where it's like dominant of what the game industry is about, right. Streaming, connecting with the community, it's a lot where games are now kind of gearing and accommodating streaming as part of how they design games. Like, um, and if you can kind of like share that side of it, because you have a lot more experience than probably a lot of our listeners on, on the stream part, the, the tournaments even, um, give more insight about how that is becoming even bigger uh, in, in a, well, especially during COVID, um, during COVID, after COVID, what were you seeing with that part of the industry going? I think streaming has almost become like a bigger part of the video game industry than the games themselves, because you have people like Ninja, you have people like Dr. Disrespect, people like Nick Merckx drawing in, you know, hundreds and thousands of live viewers and, one, it helps you know them grow as a person and build their community, but it also helps the games that they're streaming because you know people are like, oh, that, that looks cool. Like he's having a lot of fun playing this game. Let me uh, buy this game for myself and do this. And you look at uh, Ubisoft with uh, Hyperscape; they really were aiming to make that Twitch specific, and you know the viewers on watching a stream of Hyperscape could give the streamer whatever power up they wanted and so they would, they would troll like the uh the streamers and give anti-gravity to them and it would be really hard to move around the map and they would get really frustrated with that but that was a way for the audience uh, to contribute it didn't alter the gameplay too much but and it shouldn't but it was an opportunity for more involvement with that community and you know people that aren't able to afford game systems or uh or a pc or a gaming pc can still participate in a way without having to actually play and to me that's very interesting because normally it, people were watching we're already playing the game but now it's expanded beyond you know even people that would traditionally play video games and now they're just watching it for entertainment like anything else yeah it's a that's a very interesting perspective like third player option um involving the stadium if this is a gladiator game, right? The stadium has some kind of influence on the player mm-hmm. um, that don't necessarily have a copy of the game, but they're maybe connecting on a web 
space, right? It's a lot like what I've kind of talked about before with VR, where, you know, the, the one with the headset always has the most fun, right? But then there's party modes now where people can tune in with their smartphone and stuff. I see a very similar thing with Twitch streaming where people are like going crazy in the chat because it's all they can do, right? Emoticons, which is insane, right? Because it's like, wow, people pay for this, uh, for emoticons, right? Of course, it's the only thing they can do, but people want eventually to have some kind of participation in with the streamer, with the game, playing with the game. That's why the, the Stadia stuff with the YouTube stuff, um, sounds very interesting, but they're not quite there yet. Right. Because they have, (laughs) <laughs> but that right. is a huge step. Yeah, that's a huge step that I see the next five years where participants or viewers are not are, are gonna progress past just being viewers. And that needs to happen, I think, uh, because uh, the jig is up, I think, eventually, where it's like, wow, I'm just only watching. I mean, people are eventually gonna get bored of just spamming emotes in yeah. Twitch and they're gonna want more interaction. And I think that's what streamers are trying to do with you know, if you subscribe, like you get special benefits, like, you know, you get a personal video or you can, you know, play with me. Uh, but that gets hard if you have, if you have, if you have a lot of viewers, but generally that that's the direction that they're trying to go. And another game I, I just thought of was Jackbox where if someone's streaming the game, you can join the room as an audience and you can also vote for your favorite, you know, uh, lie that they tell in a uh, quiplash or something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that's huge. Yeah. That's why I think the same way that, you know, the, um, game studios need to be more diverse, including more people, especially if you're building a game for people with disabilities, you're going to have to have someone on your team that have a disability to cater to that group. You know, you can't guess same things. If you're, you're writing a story with different races, right. You can't be one race and then start sharing experience because you read a book on it, right. You're going to have to have that. Uh, it's one of the, aching points with the game studios where they're starting to incorporate more diversity within the workplace. But um, I think we're kind of slow on that because the party still becomes like shipping this game on time. (laughs) Everything keeps falling by the, and it's a, as the game are getting bigger, it becomes more of an issue uh, because the team hasn't grown in the next generation, which is one of the, the scary parts of what next generation looks like. Yeah. I think there's, there's a huge focus to, like you said, try to get the game out the door. And that was something with Red Dead Redemption that you probably read about with Jason Schreier's investigation about how, you know, they would just overwork game developers and you could probably speak to that. And they're so focused on getting the game out the door that they don't recognize these things. I do, I will say that one game that has done a great job is Apex Legends. They have a very, uh, diverse group of characters. Uh, I think League of Legends uh, has continued to do a better job of that. And the nice thing about these games is they can continue to add characters. It's not like, especially games as a service, like you can continue to add stuff um, as you update the game and kind of work backwards on that. So it's not completely over with once the game comes out. Yeah, a lot of the games that are moving towards the patching and the (laughs) free-to-play model are better situated for the future. A lot of games now that are shutting down or having layoffs or crunching are the games that are used to the old model where teams used to be like smaller, 50 people where selling a million used to be awesome, right? But now you got to sell 8 million to break even. So the um, a lot of that is just the old way of thinking, and which is great because one of, one of, one of the benefits of the industry moving forward is that they're learning from other parts of the industry, like streaming, uh, accommodating more streamers, accommodating more people watching the game more so than playing the game. Uh, other, other parts are like the mobile industry, although they're fast and they throw out and you can be number one and then number 10 the next day, they're frequently updating their game. And that's where the free to play model from AAA games like Fortnite, Apex, Legend are learning uh, from uh, the mobile industry because a lot of the mobile industry are, are made up of people that work in AAA games before and they just like looked at the uh, product and like, hey, we can think of a better way of selling these things. And that's why they're doing a lot better in my opinion and kind of separately from AAA and AAA now are, are learning from that side. So 
the, the industry is great in forward thinking when money is involved. So like the main <laughs> catalyst for change has always been about money. So like the, you know, being more inclusive, um, a lot of that is money driven. It's like, there's more players out here. So we mm-hmm. should be more inclusive. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's how they think. Right. Um, yeah, I guess. And you know, that isn't a problem if, you know, they're adva- like, if they're evolving in their product, if they're adding more voices in, because, you know, if I'm playing a game and I, you know, see someone in a wheelchair, like that makes me pretty excited. And it goes for any type of community that you're looking at, Latino, um, colored community. It, if they see that, you know, they're more inspired to play that game and it gets them more excited, uh, especially LGBT. When you look at The Last of Us and, and Dina um, uh, and Ellie's character and, so yeah, I think money can be a driver for good, but that doesn't necessarily always happen. And there's obviously exceptions to that rule. But again, I think you want so you want different types of people because that means more people are going to play the game, thus giving you more revenue. So it kind of does make sense. But again, there are exceptions to that. Mm-hmm. And um, let's go back to um, how your journalistic career started. Right, um, that's another part of the game industry where. I mean, I'm technically a broadcaster, but I don't consider myself at all uh, being a journalist uh, or anything close to that. I'm, I'm game developer first and I'm learning as I'm going, right? So can you kind of talk about that side? Because that that part of the industry changed a lot too in the last five, 10 years where, where uh, you know, it was pretty dominant in game sales, right? Uh, a lot of influence, but, you know, these, you know, the other half of you, the streamer, you know, kind of took over that side of the business where you have a lot more influence on what people buy. Um, can you kind of talk about how you got in and what you've seen on that side and how things have changed? I think video game journalism has really uh, evolved with the industry. I think it's gone more mature. Uh, it's gone from people that are like community journalists, like fans of games, just going off of what, what update, like what patches are coming out and then analyzing that and then, you know, making YouTube videos. And, and there's also uh, journalists that stream and talk about their process and interview other people on their stream, similar to what we're doing right now. And there's been a lot more investigations, uh, investigative reporting in journalism. I mentioned Jason Schreier. He's uh, been a pretty big force in that. He's at Bloomberg right now. He was uh, formerly at Kotaku. And I think, game industry uh at least pr agencies and executives are kind of a bit worried about that from my perspective because people are now like looking at the video game industry and a lot of it is opaque and they you don't know really what's going in uh going on behind the scenes and people really want to find that out because they want to play a game that they have trust in that aligns with their values yeah i I think that's one I think you nailed it right there. The game industry is immature in a way, and it's very privatized compared to um, the movie industry, right? I've talked about this many times where the movie industry, they're, they're, well, not now, right? The box office sucks right now. No one's watching movies, (laughs) but like they're very good at uh, we finding out of, you know, what movie generally does well, what month, right? Um, Games don't really have that data. I mean, used to be Steam Spy right unofficially but um now it's very hard to tell like what game is really good um what's responding and what time of the year you know all that information i think is very important to be transparent on because then we can move the industry forward um i think if anything it's slowing the industry down where we're not sharing that type of data because it's competitive data um i think as industry it's holding us back because a lot of this stuff would be highlighted very quickly with diversity, the number of players uh, that 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 uh, kind of uh, are attracted to a certain genre. I mean, these are type of things that within a publisher they know, but with there's no grand global uh, metric here that we can use as developers, as gamers, as journalists. It's like there's no common ground here where we all can meet with each other. We're very separate and segregated, um, and that doesn't seem to be a good thing ever uh, <laughs> no, it doesn't. Uh, for, for, for business. Um, 
even though they're doing it for business, which is a very odd way of thinking. I don't know. Um, I, I, th- I guess from the other side of the fence, how do you, how do you see this playing out? Like, are we going to ever be open about this or do you see this continuously being closed off? I think it'll get better eventually. And, you know, talking about how many people are playing per month, I think Twitch is a pretty good metric. You know, how many people are watching uh, this particular game? Like, you know, what are the top charts? I think that's pretty indicative of what's going on, what people are interested in. But again, like there isn't a lot of information shared. I think video game publishers are very hesitant uh, to work with journalists. They're, uh, I hate to say afraid of them. Like they're going to somehow push a narrative that is negative towards them, but that's really not what our job is. Our job is just to report what's going on and give information to people. And it's for people to decide what they want to do with that. uh, I think there's that fear that we're going to paint them as like evil, you know, capitalist monsters or something like that. But we're really just here to give information to people and bridge that gap that, that isn't there right now. Well, Game Dev Unchained is definitely to highlight the monsters. Of the- <laughs> I mean, that's the whole show. But like on the journalist side, there's you guys are there to be um, just reporting what's going on, right? To be nonpartisan as best as possible, mm-hmm. um, which is the type of news that we miss uh, in all type of news. <laughs> it's like it's too opinionated now mm-hmm. where it's hard to know what's the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it is funny because it's kind of happening. I think Rotten Tomatoes for a while. I think now everybody's kind of like more acquainted with Rotten Tomatoes and embrace it now, especially if you have favorable reviews. But a lot of movie companies, it seems like they fear Rotten Tomatoes uh, to the point of like trying to like budget a bit uh, to, to favorable reviews because it is kind of translating sometimes, right? Not, not always because we do see uh, movies that have poor ratings uh, from the critics view and then amazing audience rating and they do super well. Right. So um, it is a kind of understandable fear, I guess, from the publisher thinking that somehow this is going to come completely demolish their game that they're about to release. But at the same time, it's like, well, I mean, the data shows that people are going to play whatever game they want to play. And they're just looking at, you know, what's out there available to kind of make their decision. And, and it's better that way. I think in, in the end, it's like, if you're trying to set themselves up, for disappointment where you got you have a gotcha moment you got your 60 dollars and you run away with it knowing that it's a shit product right um that's never gonna be good for your brand it's never gonna be good for future games it's gonna hurt your you know eventually because you know they're gonna pop it in and it it sucks right so i I don't think the bigger picture here in being more inclusive being more open create i think you're right like that relationship between a journalist and game development or publishers in particular have kind of been diminished and um, it's unfortunate because even though I love streamers, they're not, I don't know. I guess in a way it's more, it's cool to kind of see the game, but there are cons to that side too, where um, there's only certain types of games that actually translate to sales. Single player experience is completely out the window. Uh, Once you see the game from front to finish, you're not really, <laughs> Where you go to play the game? And be, Why am uh, I going to pay sixty dollars if I've already seen watch like, the, the game again? Yeah. yeah. So there's genre of games that have to adapt to evolve. It is the way it is. Um, so those games, which I I grew up loving, right? Because it's like a book, right? Where I'm mm. I'm learning as the character goes, and I do kind of miss that to some respect. And less and less of those games are being made, but. And it's just a different time and um, you can't stop streamers from streaming. I mean, yeah. Well, what's your perspective of that? Like just the, the pros and cons. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at like a single player story based game, I mean, my perspective is if I'm interested in playing it, I'm not going to watch someone else play it. I, I mean, for, you know, something like star Wars squadrons that recently came out, like I didn't want to see any, I wanted it to be a whole new experience. And I guess maybe some people don't have that discipline to wait until the game comes out to see it. Um, but, and then there's the other thing is that a lot of people are seeing it that wouldn't normally buy the game. So it does give, I get more press uh, to the issue. I think I, 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 under, I understand why some uh, publishers wouldn't want to 
are worried about things getting spoiled, you know, by journalists talking to them. But the majority, at least if you're covering games, you should be a gamer in some sense and you should understand, okay, like there's a reason why they can't share the whole story at once and you have to respect that. Uh, and I think there's ways to even talk about the development process behind behind a game, which I think you're, you're trying to eliminate is very interesting, at least for me. I am not a programmer uh, or a very good artist, but I can still appreciate the amount of work and effort that goes into making these games. And you don't have to reveal any story. It's really, you know, the business and industry behind it. And so I think, I think there has to be trust on both sides, right? The trust uh, from the game publishers that journalists aren't going to ruin the game for someone by, by reviewing it and giving all the spoilers. And uh, journalists also have to trust the game you know, publishers to, uh, to work with them and to, to get information from them. And it's a two way street. Yeah. I think, um, any way that we can bridge the gap between these relationships, it makes our industry a little better. Um, that's why I feel like other entertainment industry, like the movies are, even though they're unionized and there are their own separate groups and niches, I feel like they're better connected. Uh, and they're, growing every year. I mean, Netflix is Netflix for a reason. We just don't have that on our side. And I feel it's holding us back in a huge way. Yeah. Just internally, like, you know, there's a distinct group between mobile games and AAA and indie. I mean, these are three separate groups that never talk to each other. And I, I think it's insane. And, um, in a very much same way, uh, the, the media side of it, the journalists, the streamer are very much their own. Every streamer is their own within that group is like their own. I mean, they, they partner up and they're doing what they need to do, which is smart. What like we have all these different avenues to promote what we all love, which is games, but we're not working together to better this industry. And people are kind of discovering it on their own. Uh, luckily to kind of keep this industry going, but I think we can be much bigger if we have like this somewhat singular voice of, I don't know. I, I keep relating it back to the arcade. It's like, you go to the arcade, that feels like the closest thing to like, wow, <laughs> we're, we're all in this together. But those days are long gone, um, unfortunately. And people are kind of fending for themselves. And I think a lot of the lessons, uh, the result of that is a lot of studio shutdowns, a lot of indie uh, developers who are, really well equipped with talented developers are not having a long enough chance to sustain themselves to come out with that masterpiece that we're kind of used to um, during the PS2 days. Right. I felt like the PS2 era had like hits after hits after hits from these small companies and because it was manageable, it was supported and it was a lot easier um, to kind of have an avenue to kind of publish game now that it's so big these similar sized groups are not having that chance and uh we've had so many people talk about funding so many people publish there's so many different ways of doing these things that they don't have like this internet hub where they can go is like all right you have a great idea let's go through this <laughs> let me show you the way um it's very weird it's very odd man um that we're so segregated in everything that we're doing and I don't know, I hope that's a weird side effect of this. Uh, oops, my bad. My camera just went dead. Um, this is a weird side effect where um, the pandemic is uh, sidetracking us, but at the same time, focusing us back into these things that should matter, right? Um, being more inclusive. So, uh with that, I want to ask you, because this is a, this is something where even myself, I'm going through like the social uh, isolation part of it, right? Uh, endless screen time. And uh, people are not equipped to this. They don't know how they're learning as they're going. And I've, I feel like a lot of people are not, <laughs> are not able to kind of uh, figure this out on their own. Right. Um, and the crazy thing is, you know, we're, we're, in times like this, we always look for, you know, government to kind of help us out on this, but like very little is kind of shared about um, how to take care of yourself during this time, right? It's all financial right now. 
what advice do you have from personal experience, what you've seen through friends and family, what they're doing where you're like, Hey, don't do that. Uh, eventually you're going to go crazy. Don't hold on to trying to recreate your life in this time. Right. That's the, to me, what I've seen a lot. It's like, you, they're trying to hold on what they had before and stay normal. It's like, no, man, you got to change everything. Everything has to change it during this time to survive. What, what, what do you, uh, what, what's your opinion on this? Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways that we can enjoy our screen time, enjoy our online time together without it being detrimental to our health. I think uh, one interesting documentary I watched, though, which you're probably familiar with, The Social Dilemma. And yeah. one piece of advice that they have for that is just turn off notifications on all social media because that and most of the notifications aren't even related to you. It's like, oh, look who this person has supposed to know all this is what. And so right. it kind of forces you to stay on your phone as much as possible. And it forces these companies to get as much data as possible on you. So that's one thing that's helped me. I think another thing uh, is not using electronics. I mean, like an hour to two hours before you go to bed. Usually my video game time is at night and I'm I'm actually living with my parents right now and they're like, why, why don't you just try like not, you know, playing right before you go to bed? Because, and it really does make sense when you think about it. If I'm playing, getting sweaty playing Call of Duty and like my heart rate is up and I'm all, you know, into it and excited about it, then I'm going to have trouble falling asleep and that is going to enter and have a negative effect because we're not as healthy when we're not getting enough sleep. And so I think we have to change our habits around a little bit. Uh, and be more disciplined because it's a lot easier now than like if you're in an office or, you know, out about reporting, it's a lot harder now to have those boundaries. So you really have to implement those on your own. There's plenty of apps that you can, I think freedom.io is one that I'm using where you can set it to, you know, block off these websites, these apps, these uh, video games for a certain period of time. and then you can't use them at all. And so it forces you to do, you know, the work that you need to do. And then that isn't to say that we can't, you know, have fun online and play video games, but you can't let that be the only thing you do. And, and you have to, you know, branch out and, and be productive and not let, you know, this coronavirus control uh, how you live. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a huge part of it for sure. Um, yeah. I think <laughs> It's crazy, right? You, there's a weird balance that you're like use uh, social media as a way to connect to people, but don't don't use it too much <laughs> because it's gonna hurt you. And uh, that the frequent balance, and just like, uh, well, when you're not doing that, go outside, but don't get near people because uh, <laughs> that's not good either. It's so right. crazy. Um, uh, it's so hard. Uh, but I think there isn't any other scenario where people will take that seriously until now, where people are living with this consequences of too much screen time in a forceful way to recognize like, wow, this is way bigger than an issue than I thought, because now that they don't have any other escape or distractions, they're finally like, I, I, I keep saying that this is like a five year flash forward for all types of relationship, right? Um, with people, with phone, if you're living with your parents, with you're living with uh, uh, a significant other, or with your kids, right? This is like a, a flash forward of what five years of experience would be in like six months. And you'll, you'll figure out and you know, highlight all the problems that you've had that you've been kind of like sweeping under the rug. So your, your issue with your, your devices now it's like, you know, this is what it looks like if you keep doing this for five years. So in a, in a way it's a sort of a blessing is like figure this stuff out and make your life better right now because you have to. And um, yeah, it's, it's a thing in, in the back of my mind that I've been like, you know, for us, you know, we're very dependent on social media. We're very dependent. We need to, for, for a business and what we do online. Right. But yeah, there, there are moments where you can take breaks and, and do it in a healthy way. Like you said, an hour or two before sleep, just being away from it all. And, and you're starting to hear people who, who are completely unplugging. Uh, and it's kind of like scary to hear that, like, um, 
it's it's like the air being cleared of smog, right? They're they're like infinitely not happier. It's like, wow, is it that bad? <laughs> where if I spend a day away, where my my serotonin just elevates that much, it's like that. That's scary, man. It's, maybe that's why Steve Jobs didn't let his kids be on the iPad and stuff, knowingly yeah. um, that this is what the future holds. And I think there's also responsibility from video game companies too they are knowingly or not creating something that's highly addictive. And so, you know, letting people know, okay, like these are tips for not playing too many video games and letting it get in the way of your life, you know, you know, spend, you know, make a schedule and, you know, allow yourself one hour of video games per day or like something where you're rewarding players for not playing as much. (laughs) That makes sense. You know, you can get this weapon skin if, uh, you're off for for this amount of time. Obviously that, that that probably doesn't make sense in in a lot of cases, but if, if you're showing that you care about the health of the people that you're marketing your game to, I think that improves a a lot of that trust that we were talking about and that can go a long way. Yeah. I think the last time I saw something that that happened was not a Western company. It was Eastern company like nintendo did something like that with their switch where i was playing for a few hours and then popped up like hey maybe you should rest i was like what is this (laughs) how dare you (laughs) but uh but it totally makes sense for 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 game companies to recognize and it's funny that you say the highly addictive you know that's part of the design now it used to be casinos in las vegas hiring game designers to figure that part out now it's vice versa since we're like becoming more profitable than the casinos that uh, those designers are coming back to, <laughs> to study <laughs> like addictive behaviors and recreating that in Call of Duty in all these shooters and all these like free to play games as part of design. And it's, yeah. um, it's scary uh, because now uh, it, it's, 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 it's a technology. Not a lot of people understand, obviously, you know, government is always like 10 years behind, uh, of what's working right now or what's happening. Uh, it took them a while to kind of, kind of nip, nip the loot boxes, uh, in the, butt in, yeah. in the bud for a while, uh, five years EA doing that. And they finally realized, Hey man, you're, you're charging people for like mystery boxes. And so uh, in the very much same way, now that these games are asking for more attention, more, more time, I think it's going to be a couple of years where they figure out maybe after pandemic is like, man, people are just stuck to your games. I am curious about that. I don't think it's that crazy. I think people are kind of aching for going outside. So when that, that is being lifted, I mean, we're seeing it right now, right? This is a pandemic, but people are like, well, you know, I'll take my chances. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> it's been a hundred years since the pandemic happened. And this is the time of anything to hold down in the house and, and be safe. And people can't take it anymore. So you see people just walking around. So you can't blame them. Um, and so I, I think it won't be that bad where people are so addicted to their devices where, where we, where we have to pry them away from their stuff, but it's the, the little, it's the little killers that, like you said, like people are just those little things where you're checking notifications, where you think it's harmless, but you, you end up spending like eight hours plus in front of your phone. I think those are the ones that are the sneaky, sneaky designs for games as well that, that, that they build into um, because they somewhat have a moral company. That's how they justify it. Right? The designers for these things, they it's like, well, it's like, I mean, it's just a few hours a day. I don't want them to be on there all day, but that's how we justify it. I think in a lot of these situations uh, to make it better. Yeah, and I'm glad the loot boxes are kind of a thing of the past uh, right now. I know um, I'm a big Star Wars fan, so when the remake of Star Wars Battlefront came out and I yeah. saw that whole controversy, I you know I personally didn't play it enough to get you know <laughs> too upset about it. I was just you know playing my game. I was just excited that it was a Star Wars game that was a shooter. Um, but if you really looked at what the loot box system is, it's it's essentially gambling, and I think. Yeah. They, they still have that here and there where it's like, okay, you pay like $20 to get like an Epic box. You, it might be like the low end of the Epic box or it might be really good. And the guns you get might be in the meta or they might not be, or they might help you a lot. So there's that, that gambling part of it. I think you see that a lot in, in phone apps. I think 
you know, mobile games are kind of the first people to do that, you know, with, with buying more lives and Candy Crush uh, and things uh, to that extent to, to keep you playing as long as possible and then also make money at the same time. And you, you, you talk about uh, players that are whales that'll, that'll no problem by, you know, a $20 bundle on Clash of Clans and keep doing it over and over again. Yeah, I, I briefly worked at a mobile company and I think one of the players, and this was like a mobile company that was doing all right, right? I think pretty good, right? But not like a Clash of Clans. So I can only imagine how much they were, but they were saying like one of their best customer was, has spent like a hundred thousand dollars already. <laughs> this is a two year game, but that's, that's, that's what like we, we as developers, you know, internally we're like, that's crazy. Right. But like the decision makers at the company is like, we need to recreate that. <laughs> it's like, why, why do we want people promote, you know, we can promote choice. Of course, you know, it's their money. They want to do whatever they want. But there is kind of like a a line there where it's like, all right, we can't actively brainwash them into, I don't know. I, I, there's a moral side of that where it's always tricky. I think it always in the end hurt us because you can either milk the cow too much where they're completely depleted and they will never come back to gaming, which is the fast way of doing things. And a lot of developers do that, right? Get the money now. But like I, I always favor sustainability i want these players to come back 10 20 years um and i do in a weird way like being on the game developer side i know more game developers don't don't play games than they actually play games now <laughs> and a lot of it is not i don't think it's partially because of how the industry is going but a lot of it's you know the kids and family too but i think because how complicated things have gotten too um where you're going to have to jump through. And I think a lot of it too, we know how it's, how the sausage is made. So it's like, it kind of like, we're always analyzing when we're playing through games. We don't enjoy it as much, but um, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Like I know Dio Kojima, um, he, uh, I think he was behind uh, Death Stranding, but he's uh, someone that doesn't play video games at all, really. And so you, you're definitely right uh, talking about that. I think even like the adventures of Mario, for example, they don't really play video games at all. They're more focused on creating that experience, but uh, they, they're, they're more interested in doing that than actually, you know, getting the reward of playing the game, it seems like. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things where I think, at least speaking for self, it comes pretty dangerous. Like if the reason why you got into making games isn't the reason why you're making games anymore. Uh, I think that lends to a lot of burnout for developers where they're like so detached from what they're doing. So like, I'm, I've never had to done this before, do this before where I had to schedule my game time where I'm like forcing myself to play like an hour or two a day to kind of re-inspire, reinvigorate that, that, that kid inside me that wanted to get in the industry in the first place. And I know a lot of developers that don't do that and they just burn out and they just do other things um, outside of games and they just, it's a paycheck to them. So um, I don't know, to connect back to, you know, why we're doing all this, I feel the community's being so disconnected kind of is, um, kind of doing that to themselves, right? Because we're so disconnected. We're slowly forgetting why games are being made and why they're being enjoyed. And it becomes more too much about the business. And uh, that becomes, you know, more realistically, uh, people are, 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 are kind of like, um, uh, what you say, what would you say? Uh, kind of giving that up a bit, right? They're, 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 they're less about the players and more about just making the money. So I think a lot of that, you know, what we're talking about being more inclusive and diversity, you know, we don't go back to that kid inside of us who wanted to be in the industry in the first place. We just become that mean old guy who just wants to collect money and call it a day, man. I don't know what it is, but it seems to be that way uh, in the simplest of terms, in my point of yeah. view. Yeah. I mean, it helps you make money too, right? I mean, you want to have something that's sustainable. You want to have something that people um, enjoy playing. Um, and I think that that's the key word is sustainability. Like we want to have as many different types of voices as possible in our games to 
include as many people as possible, like people with disabilities, for example. Uh, I think, and then just focusing on, you know, let let the game speak for itself. Don't feel like you need to add all of this on top of it. If it's a great game to start with, you don't need to add all these, you know, in-app purchases. Just let the game be the way it is. And it's interesting you brought up scheduling time to play video games as well. I, I think that that's some some of the struggle I have, you know, writing about video games and also playing them and esports is it going to be like am i going to stop enjoying them but i don't think that's the case and especially with me as a journalist i should be playing as many different types of games as possible so i think that's a wake-up call for me to to broaden my horizons as well and to enjoy different things and new things well uh i'm right there with you let's start a movement <laughs> play more games <laughs> Yeah, but not, honestly, not too much screen time. Yeah. Honestly, just make it a schedule. Like, okay, I'm gonna play, you know, God of War on Monday, then Tuesday, Call of Duty, then you know, Fall Guys on Wednesday, you know. And I think I think that makes all of us sane because <laughs> you worked on Call of Duty, but sometimes in Call of Duty you get you, you get in a cycle where you keep losing and you get progressively more mad at the game and other people and you just want to play more. And it kind of gets into like a little bit of a hateful cycle and you just get so upset at the game and it's nothing, it's more about you than the game, but sometimes it's nice to take a break and, and look at other things. Like for example, I would only read Star Wars books when I was little, but my parents forced me to do battle of the books where I read a bunch of different types of books and brought my horizons. And I think if people in the industry do that, I think we'd come up with some great ideas and I think it would just be more sustainable as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, exactly what you said. We, we got to reach outside of our comfort zone. Um, hire people that are not like us. <laughs> Talk to people who are not like us. It, it shows, right? In other ways that that just improves quality of life for everybody. Um, and uh, I, I want to thank you. We are at the hour mark for coming on the podcast and broadening my horizon um, and giving more insight of what a real journalist does. <laughs> and uh, this is a time where I actually hand the mic over to you uh, to give attention to, give a shout out, anything you want to talk about. Yeah, obviously where my heart is at is uh, with Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And my parents actually started a foundation when I was diagnosed when I was five years old called uh, Crew Duchenne. Um, C-U-R-E-D-U-C-H-E-N-N-E, and that's .org. And you can find out more information there and raise money for research. And something related to video games that we're doing is we're hosting a Rocket Lab. <laughs> I keep saying Rocket Lab. I mean Rocket League. It's kind of like a Rocket Lab. I mean the Rocket Cars. Yeah. But we're hosting a Rocket uh, League tournament with uh, guys that have Duchenne and uh, friends and family on October 10th. So that'll be fun. That'll be on Twitch. Uh, you can check us out there, uh, support uh, some guys with Duchenne and see how we interact when we, when we game. And like I said earlier, it's been great for me to, to meet new uh, people that have Duchenne and to be able to talk to them about the same issues. And so I think gaming is, is great for that. And it's been great for me uh, to be competitive, like I said earlier, and to, to connect with those types of people. So that's kind of what, what we're doing um, in partnership with PTC, which is a pharmaceutical company developing treatments for Duchenne. And so we're going to host that tournament, uh, raise money uh, for creation and really uh, bring, bring awareness, I think, is, is the main goal of it. It's to, a lot of people don't know Duchenne, what is that? Uh, so we're trying to bridge that knowledge gap as well. And then I'm, I'm also going to be uh, starting uh, a channel where I talk to game developers, not unlike uh, right here, uh, but it'll be called Dev Talks and I'll be reaching out to the game developers, uh, talking uh, to them, interviewing them, and then playing their games with them at the same time. So that should be a fun thing. And when I get started on Twitch, uh, definitely follow me there again. Um, and on Twitter uh, is the best place to find me. All right, man. And uh, I know you're being around Bush. Of course, I'll be on the show. <laughs> yeah, let, let, let's I'm do it. Buddy. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank you for, for all your work, man, for sharing your story. Uh, raising awareness and uh, sharing the knowledge, man, because I'm, I'm, I'm like the old guy, dude. Like what, what is the streaming thing? What are these kids doing? <laughs> I, I think streaming personally is like a whole nother beat to cover for journalists. Yeah. It's so crazy, games. man. And it's not, I don't, I don't even think it's uh 
as Dr. Disrespect puts it, it's not the peak of the mountain yet. Like it's so much more <laughs> to it. Funny enough, man, we, I work with them. Like we were um, buddies on Call of Duty. Yeah, Advanced Warfare, right? Yeah, Advanced Warfare, yeah. So to see his success has been um, awesome. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, we were good buddies. I mean, he always had that personality before he started. So he just uh, ran with it. But it's one of those things where he kept paying attention, like you said, right? We're so everybody in this industry is so focused in getting to their next thing, where in his case, he was able to kind of survey what was going on with streaming and made that move. and succeeded in a huge way, took advantage of what was going on. And I think as long as we're not tunnel vision, every industry being connected, uh, we can, we can really move up to the next step and evolve as an industry as a whole. Right. Definitely. Which is the next major thing. Well, I want to thank you for coming on, man. Welcome to my apartment and all that. <laughs> and, uh, I want to wish you the best, dude. Yeah. You too, Brandon. Good talking with you. Talking to you. Thank you. Okay. Have a good one.